probably the first and foremost. You have to set clear boundaries with yourself and then with your team and your clients and buying, being really transparent with your needs, you'd actually be surprised at how embracing of that people are like, yeah, no problem. You go take care of you. Like, I'm sorry, I don't work five to eight. I have to be with my family and make dinner and help get my kids to bed. So we're going to need to move that meeting to another time. No problem. Totally understand. Absolutely need to use your family. Right. I think that if you constantly break those boundaries, then you're setting a precedent with people that you don't have any, and then you run yourself into the ground because you feel like you have to be everywhere all the time. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mitko Karshavsky, and welcome to episode 116 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. I'm super excited to be joined today by Carrie Gard, the co-founder and COO of MKG Marketing. Now, most agencies struggle with massive employee churn. It's just one of the natures of the industries. Working at an agency is a fantastic way to gain experience and learn new skills, but it can also be really hard work, which is why many agencies churn through employees at a high rate, constantly having to hire and replace talent. MKG, however, is different. In fact, They haven't lost an employee in years, and that has a lot to do with their people-first approach. As the COO of MKG Marketing, Carrie has helped develop and put into action their company values, which focus on people-first approach. They offer their employees a great salary, top-of-the-line benefits, and give them flexibility that most agencies could never match but their ability to retain top talent goes much further than that. During this interview, I got to ask Carrie exactly how they built this incredible company culture, how we can apply their lessons to smaller online businesses, and how to create a healthy work-life balance while working remotely so we can stay mentally strong and avoid burnout. But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which you can find a link to in the show notes for this episode. I publish every podcast interview there in video form, and I also release original content every Thursday about the digital nomad lifestyle, remote work, and online business that you can only find on YouTube. So subscribe to that channel. To subscribe, just click on the link in the show notes or search for my full name, Mitko Karshovsky, M-I-T-K-O-K-A-R-S-H-O-V-S-K-I. I know that that's a mouthful and I'm working to make it easier to find the YouTube channel uh, in YouTube at the moment. However, it takes a little bit of time for YouTube to start uh, you know, showing my things for smaller key phrases like Mitko, for example, which might be a strange name to you guys, but it is a pretty popular name in Bulgaria. So there's a lot of Mitkos posting on YouTube. Finally, though, I'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. 
I've made it really easy to leave a review. All you got to do is just head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write a review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support us. Reviews are a key statistic that podcasting apps look at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. Guys, seriously, I cannot tell you how helpful it is for you to leave a review. Every time I see a new review posted, I see us jump in the rank boards and new listeners find this podcast. So thank you in advance so much for leaving a review if you choose to do so. And thank you for joining me over on YouTube. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's jump into this awesome conversation with Carrie Gard from MKG Marketing. All right, Carrie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Miko? I'm good. I'm stoked. I'm so excited to talk to you because uh, like we were chatting uh, before we hit record, we both come from the agency world. Well, you're still in the agency world, uh, but we're going to talk and nerd out about remote work and all the good things that come with it. And also, uh, I'm really excited to have you on because um, you guys are very people focused at your company. And I think uh, something that I've done a bad job of covering on this podcast is like the mental health aspect of uh, our style of work and how to just kind of have a more balanced, more uh, equal life. But uh, tell me, I know that you are currently, we talked about this in Guernsey, England, which you didn't think I would know about, but I bet people listening to this podcast know uh, where that's at, but you're originally from the US. So let's start with what was your experience moving from the U.S. Uh, to the U.K.? Like, you know, why did you decide to do that? And what was that kind of process of becoming, quote unquote, an expat? Oh, it was an adventure. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so quick backstory, because I'm clearly not from here. My accent is a little bit all over the U.S. Um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. You probably hear a little bit of PA in there. And I moved to New York for a bit and then Seattle and California and back to Seattle. So definitely from the US. My husband, on the other hand, was born in the UK. His mom is from Guernsey and he grew up in Guernsey. So that is our connection to this little teeny tiny nook of the world. Um, last year in the middle of the pandemic, we found out that our kids are twins uh, there are four going on five at the time. And we found out that Guernsey had been COVID free for 30 plus days and that the kids would start school in September of that year. And we were like, we can send our kids to school. Like <laughs> we don't have to keep, we, we can, you know, we're doing the nanny thing, which is a little tricky with COVID and not seeing any of our friends, not being able to go outside and not and all these knots and to know that we could go to Guernsey and send our kids to school and not wear masks and to not social distance and to see our family was just an eye opener. And so in three weeks, we made the decision. And then in three weeks, we sold everything, packed up and left for, took three flights, took Seattle to Chicago, which was a full flight in June, believe it or not, everybody was, the, every seat was taken. Um, which was terrifying in the middle of the pandemic. And then Chicago to Heathrow, which was actually very empty and lovely. 
Um, my kids actually slept for a few hours, which for four-year-olds on a flight to the UK is magnificent. Um, took a took a car. We drove from Heathrow. There was one flight a day going out of Southampton, the very south of the island of England, to Guernsey, and so it was quite the twenty-four hour excursion. Um, we isolated for seven days, and then we were, as long as our test came back negative, which we did, we were free to go. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's how we ended up here and the adventure that it's been, it's definitely been an adjustment. I'm learning a whole new vocabulary. Um, especially with my kids in school, they don't wear sweaters. They wear jumper. The boys wear jumpers and the girls are cardigans. There's a difference. <laughs> Tried to put a cardigan I on my son and I got in trouble. <laughs> And then it's not sneakers, it's trainers. Trainers, yep. Uh, it's not a cart, it's a trolley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so are, you, are you excited to now be living in the UK and, you know, be an expat? Like, what, like how do you feel now that you're in this new, like, lifestyle? Because now it's, it's interesting because you've been working remotely for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and you guys, uh, you know, at, at the agency, MKG agency, you guys have been remote for a while, but now you're kind of like plugging in this other side of like what we do, which is like, you know, the remote work and the travel. So now you're an expat. So how does it feel with that? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm still getting used to it. It's only been not even a year. I'm definitely settling in. Uh, I told my husband that I'm a little sad that the novelty is worn off. Like I drive around and it feels familiar, which is a little sad because it was really fun when it was like, I'm here and I'm in Europe and this is so cool. Um, but it's actually really glorious from a work standpoint because my team doesn't get on till two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I get so much done between not just work, but like life stuff, like the laundry and the housework and the running of the errands. And I got my hair done yesterday. And like, there's so much you get done when your team is not online. The hard part is when you're ready for bed and your team's still going at hundred miles an hour and you're like, nope, not going to check email. Nope. Can't do it. <laughs> I need to go to bed and not be worried. It'll be there for me in the morning. And then I can check my email and deal with anything that's happening. But it is that sort of catch 22 of lovely to get things done during the day, but also like, how do you turn off at night when you want to be there for your company? It's, it's tricky. Yeah. That was my favorite part about uh, my wife and I spent quite a bit of time in Eastern Europe uh, during the summers. And like, that was the best part. I mean, there's a lot of good parts about being there, but one of the really great work aspects of working from there is that like I could get all of my things done without Slack blowing up or my emails or like hearing from clients or anything like that. And then, yeah, I mean, I I remember there was once when I was at a bar and I think it was like a Thursday or a Friday night or something. So I was like out with friends and like there were like Slack messages coming in. Somebody needed my like opinion or something like, well, I, this is probably not the best time for me to answer this work question, but like, let me figure this out, you know? So uh, I definitely understand that. Now, I you I know you've been in the agency world for quite a bit. Uh, you were working in agencies before uh, you started your own in New York, and then you you went out and you started your own agency. But you decided to do your agency remote, even though, as far as I understand, you didn't have a lot of remote experience before that. Why did you decide to kind of build your agency in a remote first way? So the way that it sort of happened is. 
I met my business partner at another agency in Seattle. It was a little boutique agency right in downtown. Um, him and I were basically running the media part of the digital media part of the company, just the two of us. And um, there was a company that came in that wanted this agency to run their media and the agency turned it down because it was small potatoes. My business partner and I were like, oh my gosh, it's like measurable. Like we could actually measure, it was a travel site. So oh my gosh, we could actually know if we spend this much money in advertising, this is how much revenue they're going to get. This is amazing. Like this, we want to do this. So we pitched it. Um, and at the same time, it was sort of like a happenstance of events. At the same time, my husband, who's a developer at who was a developer at the time at Microsoft got a job at Netflix in San Francisco. And so we were moving to the Valley and I turned to Mike and said, how do you feel about San Francisco? And he was like, let's go. And so we decided in that moment that if this, regardless of whether this company was going to come down and hire us as an independent agency, we were just going to go to San Francisco and figure this thing out because working with companies where we can measure their ROI was no better place to do it than the Valley because they're all tech companies and everything's digital and we could literally do it, which was just unheard of in all the other agencies we worked with. I worked at General Mills, which was all CPG, which was, mm -hmm. I was selling yogurt. Can't really measure the ROI of that, right? Um, I worked at, I did do Microsoft work, but that was a little different. Wasn't really necessarily about ROI. And then at this agency we both met at, it was very much like Western Digital where all their products were sold in store. Um, we worked with a medical company. Again, they're looking for patients. You couldn't measure the ROI on that um, as well as a few other products. So it was just like, yes, like the one place we should be is in Silicon Valley working with brands where we can measure their ROI. And so him and I picked up and moved there. I moved to San Jose and he moved to San Francisco. And if you know anything about the Valley and the way that the train system works is it's not great. <laughs> Nobody really wants to take Caltrain for an hour, hour and a half every day. They do because I don't know why, but they do. Um, I wasn't about to do that. Um, it just didn't make sense for the time we needed to spend on our, on our company versus the time we needed to spend commuting. So mm -hmm. I went like once or twice a week to San Francisco to meet up with Mike. Um, but generally we worked, I worked in San Jose, he worked in San Francisco. And then we had some clients. So we would meet up with clients. We'd still get FaceTime. Like there was plenty of ways for us to interact that wasn't in an office every single day. Um, and it's easy with two people, right? Like you have, at the time we had email, I think we were using Outlook. And then we had, um, uh, we would just do file sharing over email, which then turned to our very first client uh, was box.com. And so we started using box um, and which was a game changer in terms of file sharing. And, um, and then we hired our very first employee. And I think this is where it really solidified the remote working aspect. So our, we needed somebody to run our digital advertising from a PPC standpoint. Mike and I were experts when it came to, um, what's called like site direct or CPM or awareness media, mm -hmm. Um, PPC is that pay-per-click that's Google, that's paid search, that's Facebook now and LinkedIn social. And you, so it's two totally different beasts between 
you hiring, you know, going to Bloomberg and saying, here's what I want and then doing all the work versus you getting in the weeds of Google AdWords and running it yourself. Right. So we hired, we hired somebody first as a contractor and then brought them on full time. And he was actually out in Portland. He was a referral from a friend. They were like, Christian Bulk is your person. Um, And he was a dad and he wasn't going to uproot his life to move to the Valley. And um, it became really clear as well that not only did we need to work remotely, but we needed to ensure that he had a work-life balance because it was turning out that we were working these crazy hours. As we all know, as remote workers, especially if you're a solopreneur, chances are you work all day until you fall over in the day. And so when you have a family, you can't do that. And that really solidified the fact that if we were going to do this, we needed to create a work-life balance for Christian and his family, but also for ourselves, because eventually we wanted families and we mm-hmm. wanted to know what that would look like. So, um, yeah, I mean, remote working was, was both a interesting series of events, but then also a very decisive decision at the end of the day. And I heard that you guys now still only hire people who say they work from home. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that is? Because many people that are listening are people who are like, I'm homeless. Uh, I don't have a home. So would that be like, why do you like, do you only look for people who like have a home and they work from like a home office? And is there a specific reason why you wouldn't like, for example, hire somebody who's like more nomadic in a way? Well, seeing as my business partner and I have moved all over the country and the world, I wouldn't say that Cecily somebody working from home, the key element there, and I'm sure we've all faced this when we've hired people for those who have, who have hired people is that when you hire somebody who's never worked remotely, there is a steep learning curve and it's not even a learning curve. It's an, it's a huge adjustment period. And when they don't know how to communicate unless they're in person, it's a, it's, devastating to their mental health and their ability to function. And it's just not really fair to ask somebody who's never done it to then start doing it. I, I think that was one of the crux challenges of the pandemic and everybody being thrown into remote work overnight who have never done it is the isolation of it, not being prepared for it or knowing how to ask for help or get, get what they needed in a remote environment. It takes a very mm-hmm. special skill to navigate that. You have to raise your hand and say, I'm stuck or I'm looking for help. Or what do you think about this? Or can we set up a meeting? Like you have to do that outreach because unless you have the right team in place who are used to working remotely, who, you know, we just sort of put the right management system in place to now have somebody who literally reaches out to every single person weekly to ask them how they are. Right. Um, which I think is a necessity these days, especially for those who've been thrown into remote working overnight. Like there is a level of you advocating for yourself and also the company needing to make sure they have the right support system in place. And if those two things don't happen and they, they both have to exist, you can't have one without the other, even though we had people who were, advocating for the employees, if you weren't able to reach out yourself, it just, it, there was just this isolation that was immediately created. And we had people leave. They were like, I tried it. 
I really did, but this just isn't for me. And I need to go back to an office. And it's like, that's totally Mm. fair. But it became very clear that we needed to find people initially that knew they wanted to work from home, regardless of whether they had done it before, they knew it was a lifestyle they wanted and they wanted help figuring out how to do it. And that was a conscious decision they needed to make. Now it's a whole different world. I mean, everybody's worked remotely. I think majority of people are like, like more of this, please. Um, so, I mean, I think seeking people who want to work from home is very different now. I think everybody's capable of it. I think having working for a company who's been doing it for 10 years is going to feel very different than working for a company who had to figure it out overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, the, the original stance there was more around finding people who really wanted the lifestyle versus were just accept just taking it because it's, they felt like that's all that was available in the moment. Yeah. I've had like an interesting, so, I mean, I've been doing this for like quite a while before the pandemic and when the pandemic happened and all of a sudden everybody was thrust into working remotely, I was like, Oh, finally. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's not a good thing that like COVID happened, but one of the side benefits was like, I was like, okay, great. All of my friends are now going to see what I saw. And now we're all going to be remote together because they're not going to want to go back. And it's just going to be this fun, happy party family. Right. But interestingly, I had a non-crazy percentage of my friends. Like I'm not going to say half, maybe like less than half, but a pretty decent percentage of my friends who were like, yeah, I'm not about this. I want to, I, I can't wait to go back to the office. And in speaking with them, what I kind of came to realize is that they were either like, they weren't getting any of the benefits of remote work, right? Like one of my things was like you being confined to your home and having to stare at a screen all the time is not the remote work that I know, right? Like this sucks for me too. I don't enjoy this either. You're not getting mm-hmm. any of the benefits. But I think the other kind of reason why they had that experience was that their companies didn't do it the right way, right? Like they were kind of like what you mentioned, the companies themselves, the same way that people had to figure out how to work remotely, the companies themselves were like, we don't know what we're doing and we're kind of going to have to figure out. And because of that, they now have like an ill taste or a sour taste in their mouth from working remotely. So if somebody is listening to this, who is in this scenario, who is like, I tried it, I did, it didn't really work for me. I don't really see how I could do it long-term. How would you recommend that they almost like retry that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. how would you say, because you mentioned that people who are starting to work remotely for the first time, they almost need to sort of be like walked into it slowly. So what would be your tips for people who are like, Yeah, that didn't work out for me during the pandemic, but like, I'm kind of curious, how would I do it the right way? So I think it's a couple of things from what I've been hearing across the ether and how remote working has gone for people. I think one is Zoom burnout is real. I think we're all experienced. I mean, even people who've worked for, you said it, Nico, like we've, we've done the remote work thing forever, but Zoom burnout is a whole new level with the pandemic. And it's because not only are we doing the Zoom thing for work, but we're doing it like I'm constantly on FaceTime with my family. I'm sure everybody's feeling that. And then people feel like they can book. I feel like people feel like they can book more meetings um, and back to back. And like, no, <laughs> no, it's not about having more meetings. It's actually figuring out how to do two things. One is, 
what needs to be talked about face-to-face over Zoom to get to results and what can be done asynchronously. Mm. Um, Finding asynchronous communication is huge. And using a, um, you have to use a project management software. I know companies who were thrown into remote and weren't using, were using like sheets as a project management software. And I was like, for the world we live in today, the last thing you need to be using (laughs) sheets for project management when you're working remotely, please. Like there's 15 out there, pick one. I don't care which. We use Asana. We've tried to punt out. Asana's was work for us. But like, I, it doesn't matter which one you use, but use one. And the reason for that is because asynchronous communication is so seamless within those platforms that if you have something you're working on and it can't get done, then you can tag somebody and you can comment, you can let them know what's up and then they can come in and figure out how to unblock you. And then you can move on to the next thing while you know somebody's going to come pick up where you left off. Um, asynchronous communication. Zoom, we use um, Slack is a big one. We actually moved over to Zoom chat because uh, those we were using Zoom for all video conferencing. So having those big, beautiful video buttons everywhere um, was really helpful. Like when you could see that the people were online, you're like, oh, cool. This person's online and I need to chat about this. I'm going to video them. We're going to figure this out. We're going to hash it out. We're going to move on. But if they're not online, you can chat them and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm struggling. Or I wanted to get this out of my brain and over to you before I move on to this other thing. Asynchronous communication just has to be part of your process when you're working remotely, especially when you're dealing with time zones, which I could tell you <laughs> working in the UK five hours ahead of the Eastern time, eight hours ahead of Western. It is, uh, it's necessity. I have people message me at their 1am. I get up the next morning and I get a ton of stuff done and I get back to them. And I let them know what's up and then I get on to my work. Got to figure out asynchronous communication. The other thing that I feel like went sort of haywire. I don't know if you felt this, Mika, I'll be very curious as you're talking to your friends, But one of the things I found is that micromanaging became a thing like people, because they can't see you and know what you're working on. Like, how could you possibly be getting anything done? And so I got to check on you all the time. And are you on task and are you doing what you're supposed to? And ah, like nobody likes that in an office, whether alone remotely, that sounds terrible. And so again, having that system in place, the beautiful thing about Asana is there's no hiding. everything is timestamped. So if you're assigned something and you move it, your manager finds out, right? So people don't need to hover, but there's this lovely transparency. So if you are kicking ass and you are getting shit done and your managers can see that they're going to leave you alone. Great. Their stuff's getting done. I can go over here and do what I need to get done. Or I can check in and just say hi, because I like them as a human. And I just want to see how they're doing. And or, oh my goodness, they got a ton done today, more than they should have. And that means they're not getting any breaks. Can I go check on them and make sure that they're okay? Like, why are they hiding in their work? Right. Mm. And then it becomes about other things rather than trying to like tap somebody on the shoulder constantly. Like, are you working? Are you working? Are you working? So I would say if you were to do it again, make sure you have the right systems in place so that there's, there's trust and transparency between the teams and that there's asynchronous communication. So you don't feel like you have to be at your computer all the time. Yeah. And I think like if somebody's listening to this and it, you know, you are somebody who is more of like a remote employee, like I think, 
you know, Carrie, I think you just like hit a whole bunch of things in terms of like, hey, when you go looking for a job that is remote, ask about these things. Like, yes. are is this a company that's doing these things? If they're not, red flag. There are mm-hmm. plenty of companies that are doing things the right way uh, that you can go and work at. And I totally agree with you. I mean, the two big things that I saw were uh, communication was just like haywire. Like people were just calling each other and on Zoom all the time. And like, like there was a study that just came out. Actually, I think it was Microsoft did this study about literally Zoom fatigue. And they were saying that if you do back-to-back meetings, uh, you know, Zoom at meeting after Zoom meeting, it you can actually measure a decrease in, in mental performance. And I was like, who's doing back-to-back Zoom calls? Like, yeah, I, I don't need a study to tell me this. Like, that's just ludicrous. Like, I can feel it, right? And so I totally agree with you. And then the other thing that I heard that you also mentioned was I actually had a friend who had a, um, they started working remotely. They got kind of pushed into it and they had a software which tracked their mouse movement. Movements. Oh, I heard about this. And if their mouse did not move, a, I don't know, however they track this, their pay actually got docked. Like that hour ended mm-hmm. up being like an hour of break. And to me, that's just like insanity because you cannot like go from working remotely in or from working in an office and then just like try to do it online. Like there needs to be a lot of trust in my opinion. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Time Doctor. No, I'm not. Tell me more. So Liam Martin, he's been a guest on the show before. Uh, he's also, he's kind of like a big time remote work proponent. And he uh, also has a, a pretty nice um, uh, event called Running Remote. Uh, so he's big into the remote work. And Time Doctor is a time tracking tool <laughs> for figure. remote work. And even they don't track time. Like his whole thing is we track time of our employees, but we use it for data because then when we go and we work with our employees, mm-hmm. we can say, Hey, like, you know, you, you know, we believe that you should be doing, you know, your output should be at this, but it looks like you're working less than what everybody else is working. So perhaps we can try to push it up a bit more or like, you know, they just use it for data, but they're not actively like, did you work eight hours? Oh, you worked 7.6. We're docking your pay. You know what I mean? So the fact that even somebody who runs a company that does this is not tracking time in this way, I think is a really big, um, evidence that you just shouldn't do that. Um, but I'm curious, one of the things that I saw about MKG was that you guys define yourselves as people first. So what does that mean? Like, I mean, like, what do you do that makes you people first? Everything. Um, it's our core values. So we have every company should have core values. If you've worked for companies who don't have core values, when you walk into your next interview, you're going to ask the company about their core values. If they don't have any, you're going to turn around and go running far, far away. Um, you, every company should have core values and everybody should know what those core values are and how to live by them. And so one of our core values, our very first one, our most important one, I think is people first and it's, it evolved initially. It was very much about Mike and I ensuring that we took care of our people. Do they Mm. have their basic human needs met? Do they feel like they're safe? Do they feel like they belong? Um, do they feel like we trust them and that there's, that there's that trust there? So basic human needs. And then we realize that it transcends our people. Cause if we take care of our people, then our people take care of our clients who are people. And so it's really 
come down to just remembering that we're all human and ensuring that we all feel that way, that all of our basic human needs when we come in contact with anybody is being met. Do our clients feel like they belong or do we belong within their organization? And there's that symbiotic balance. Um, it, it comes down to every decision do we make every time we go to decide something, um, whether it's, you know, we're at a crunch in terms of revenue, how are we going to take care of our people? What do we need to ensure? Well, bottom line, are we going to make their paychecks and their benefits? That's got to be, everything else has got to go if we can't do that. Right. So it just comes down to remembering that we're all human and that we're all people and making decisions around that. Um, it is really the core of it. It's extending now. This is, which is really cool. I just read this book called the marketing rebellion, the most human company wins. And I just had the writer on my podcast and we totally nerded out super hard because he's right in that mass marketing is going away. It's already started and it's going to slowly disappear. And what does that mean? I mean, marketing isn't going away, but mass marketing it is. And trying to figure out what do you mean by mass marketing? Mass marketing is like scale. Like how do you get in front of as many people as possible with the same message and hook them? And it's that sort of see it like a buy it. They're going to see your like ad. A TV gonna, ad like, on the Super Bowl, for example. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's totally mass marketing, right? Um, even if you're on Facebook and you see the same ad over and over again, that's mass marketing. It's the same message. Probably thousands of people are seeing the same message. And they're hoping that a small percentage of those people who are seeing the ad are going to click on it, get to the website and buy something. And, and people don't want it. People haven't wanted it for a long time, but now they're, you know, with policy and things and big companies like Apple stepping up to the plate, Google stepping up to the plate to make policy change, that's becoming very real. And so people first is actually going to transcend even to our clients, customers of how do we remember that our clients are selling to people and what does that even mean? And it's giving back control. You know, it's giving back control to the employees. It's giving back control to the clients. It's giving back control to the customers of what it is that they're looking for and then meeting them in that place rather than shoving your message down or just saying, you're gonna show up nine to five and mm -hmm. you're going to do exactly what I say. And that's it. Like, and I'll be all like, that's not the world we live in anymore. And that's not what people want. And you're going to fry people from a company standpoint and there's turn and burn and, uh, and that massive turnover in that I mean, agency world, right? <laughs> that's the world we lived. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think I stayed at an agency, maybe a year and a half tops. Um, you know, and then clients, you don't treat clients right. And then they, you know, leave after two years and then same with customers, you know, so it's really has to come back to being human, creating those human connections again, remembering how to just support one another. And that's really what people first, the very long <laughs> version of what people first means. And I saw that in like more concrete examples, like you guys have, for example, a, um, like a 12 week, um, maternal and paternal time off. So like, if, you know, even as a dad, like you can take three months off, 
Uh, I saw that you guys have 20 days of vacation. And these things are like kind of unheard in America. You know, I think in Europe, mm. it's more like regular. Um, yeah. But I think that this is becoming more and more common. I mean, it's great that you guys are doing that. I'm, I'm very happy to see that. And I think remote companies are kind of doing that a bit more. Like I think Basecamp was one of the companies that I remember off the top of my head that, for example, like they will pay for their employees' gym and they will pay for their employees' like, stuff so they can kind not of like, have a- Not anymore. It's it's gone. Oh, you didn't hear that. We'll get that. That's a whole okay. other story. But You should go okay, look up what's where point, they're at. Um, I, I read the whole thing that happened with Basecamp, but I wasn't aware that they took the gym stuff away. But anyways, like, my yeah. question is, I think that that's all well and good for larger companies that have a larger revenue and can afford it. But do you have any tips for people who are maybe not yet at that level? Maybe they're working with a, with a few people, their revenue is not quite so high yet to support these sort of large benefits. Like what were you guys doing in terms of like hardcore benefits when you guys were still smaller? So I want to take a step back because you make a really important point. A lot of what I said around people first and our core values is a philosophy. That's how we feel about Mm -hmm. the way that we want to treat everybody we come in contact with. And we can say all we want in the land, um, but you got to back it up. And in backing it up, that comes to the benefits, the policy, you know, saying what you mean, but more importantly, doing what you say. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we have these pretty extravagant benefits. I say extravagant because in the US, some cases they are. We, you're right. We have, I'd say in most cases they are, but 12 weeks for maternity and paternity fully paid. Um, I think after being a mom and having my husband home with me, it's just as important for a dad to be home with a family as it is for a mom. Mm hmm. A mother needs that support, being a new mom especially. Um, uh, 20 vacation days came from a funny story where actually we sort of adopted the Netflix style because like I said, my husband was at Netflix at the time and their policy for vacation was none. We didn't care if you take vacation, unlimited, do what you will. Well, as data shows, including in our agency, nobody was taking vacation. Um going back to being people first, we need people to take vacation because if you don't turn off and walk away, you don't get a chance to rejuvenate. And so we were like, okay, 20 days, use it or lose it. Um, People generally don't use the 20 days. That's a lot, especially when you give 17 holidays on top of that. We always close for Christmas to New Year's and try and follow like a kid's school Mm -hmm. schedule. but that's not the point. The point is that it's there. And if you know that you have a countdown, you're more willing to use it than if you don't. So it's, so it's more about your values. What are you trying to do? And what are the policies and the benefits you're going to create? When we were just a few people and we didn't have necessarily the clout to do some of these things, um, we gave extra money. So we gave really good salaries to offset, like go get your own benefits. The good news Mm -hmm. is now there's a lot of tools out there like Gusto. We use benefits that actually really support small businesses and helping them get benefits for their employees, even if you're only like five people. So we didn't have benefit. Like I said, we didn't really have benefits. We offset it with salary. And that was actually bad because then people weren't getting 
medical and dental, and then they weren't taking care of themselves and then they would get sick and bad things would happen. So if you can get out there and get at least medical, I highly recommend that's at like the bare minimum of what you do. Um, vacation days and medical, if that's all you can do, that's all you can do. But I would say that's, that's the bare minimum, um, in terms of benefits and what you can afford. And, uh, and then just figuring out what your policies are. There's a lot you can do in terms of creating the right culture around just having some of the right policies. Like one of our policies is no client emails after 6 PM, your time zone. Mm. It sets a really clear precedent with the client of you can email us all day long. We'll respond to you in the morning at eight or 9 AM. Um, it's just having those clear boundaries really helps your team. It helps clients not overwork you. And it sets that precedent of people first, you're going to go have a life outside of work. That's really important to us. And here's a policy to prove that. Yeah. And I think like displaying and talking about your policies and your beliefs. And like you said, you know, your culture and your values will help like attract employees that are right for you. And I also think some like clients, I mean, I think to a lesser extent clients, but clients definitely are going to be like, okay, these seem, these people seem cool and like normal. Mm -hmm. So I want to go and like work with them because if they treat their employees like this, they'll likely treat me like this. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that like with the agency that I was working with was that it was a very entrepreneurial kind of culture where everyone had like side projects. And that was really great because it was okay for you to have those. Not only was it okay, it was supported. So like, you know, the founder was always saying like, Hey, like, how can I help with that? You know, you're, you know, he, like, there was always this constant help on like, Hey, we all work together on this agency. However, let's help each other with our own kind of like side hustles and whatnot. So, um, I, I, I love that. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you have values that you kind of display and talk about, I think it will attract more of that towards you, but you mentioned mental health a little bit, and this is a topic that I think has been very important for a very long time and hasn't been addressed, but it's become even more important now that people have been stuck. You know, there've been, you've, we've all heard these stories of people who now are working remotely and they're getting depressed and all these sort of things. So what are some things that people who are working remotely, whether they're employees or they're entrepreneurs who are remote, like what can we do as remote first people and a community to kind of keep ourselves going, keep our mental health up and, you know, not go into those dark, you know, times that remote workers experience. So dark. We've all been there. Let's be honest. Even though we're remote first, we've all been there. Um, oh gosh, so many things. And I can't even say that I'm good at any of them, but I try real hard. Um, boundaries is probably the first and foremost, you have to set clear boundaries with yourself and then with your team and your clients and buying, being really transparent with your needs. You'd actually be surprised at how embracing of that people are like, yeah, no problem. You go take care of you. Like, I'm sorry. I don't work five to eight. I have to be with my family and make dinner and help get my kids to bed. So we're going to need to move that meeting to another time. No problem totally understand. Absolutely. Need to be with your family. Right. I think that if you constantly break those boundaries, then you're setting a precedent with people that you don't have any, and then you run yourself into the ground because you feel like you have to be everywhere all the time. And it's not sustainable. Come back to sustainability a lot. 
what's sustainable. Um, my husband called me on it today. He was like, it seems like you're, you know, cause he goes into the office on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He's like, it seems like you're working when I leave at nine o'clock in the morning. And then I come home, you sort of help with the kids with getting a snack. And then you're off to meetings until five. And then you're meeting again from eight to 10. This is, this seems like kind of a lot. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. I'm sort of, I'm not technically breaking, breaking my boundaries because that's normally how I normally work 12 to five and then eight to 10. But when you're not here and we're not going and running errands together. Yeah. I, I do tend to work. I probably should find something else to do with my time. Right. So I think setting very clear boundaries and sticking to them for yourself and then communicating those to your team is first and foremost. I was recently diagnosed with general anxiety. I think probably half the world after the pandemic was, I think mine comes from, um, having kids, probably a little postpartum in there. There's a whole new aspect to being a mom and trying to run a business and being little miss do it all that comes with a sense of, you know, a lot. And so I sought out a doctor and I said, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And, um, I saw two of them. It was interesting because I saw one in the U S and I, he was like, well, I can give you medicine or we can do it this the hard way. And I was like, well, medicine actually sounds harder than doing it the other way. So, so tell me about the other way. And I didn't want to take medicine for my own. Um, I'm just very sensitive to it. And so he gave me a book called mind over emotion. And it's recognizing when you're spiraling and how to regain control over what's real and what's not. Um, we love to make up stories as humans. There's plenty of data to show that, right? People remember stories more than re- remember data. And, um, and we do, we make up stories and then we spiral and it's really bad. So I got, I got a doctor. So he gave me this book. It was awesome. But then I came to Guernsey and I, I, things got hard again because it's a new country. I'm trying to get my feet under me. I'm still trying to do Loma's do it all between a family, getting kids to school, running a business from, you know, now with a very big time difference. And that doctor was more of like, you just need to breathe like <laughs> a lot. That's a very <laughs> European answer. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. So five times a day, you're going to sit and you're going to breathe seven breaths in for 11 out. You're going to do five of those five times a day, ready to go. And actually it was a huge game changer. So I think everybody needs to find what's right for them. But I think the first thing is recognizing that whatever something's off, right? Can't get out of bed. You're feeling really tired. Everything feels really hard. You don't love what you're doing anymore, even though yesterday you did, you know, recognizing sort of those shifts in your mood and your universe and being like, I need help. So as a, as a individual, that's what I did from a company standpoint, it's really hard remotely because you can't see people, right? So you can't see that somebody, you walk by somebody's desk and it's been empty or they're coming in later and later and later. Um, Luckily, we have some systems in place that negate some of that. So we use, like I said, we use Zoom chat and we have a general room. That's when people come say hi. When they winter for the workday, they let people know that they're there. 
and then they get to work and then they let people know when they're taking breaks or when they're headed out or whatever. We don't care where you are. We just need to know where you are so that if we're trying to get a hold of you, we're not chasing our own tail. Um, so there is definitely some key elements that you can look for on, on those chat channels of how people's behaviors change. Do they share a ton of gifts normally and now they're not sharing any for the last five days? Has their language changed? Maybe their mood's a bit off. Um, the first thing to do is to call and check in on them. How are you? How's it going? What's really hard today? Mm. Um, and then figuring out how to clear their schedule and give them time. Uh, we say a mental health day is a sick day and we have unlimited sick days. So please go take time away from all of this to go ride your bike to have a duvet day, as I like to say here in England, where you crawl <laughs> under your duvet and you watch TV all day. Like whatever a mental health day means to you, go get it. Um, it's not going to count against your vacation. Just go take care of you for a minute. Um, and I, I mean, I don't even think that's enough. I think, I think that's the best we can do as a company, just checking in on people, making sure they're okay and giving them the space to, you know, get their feedback under them. Um, but I think individuals need to find, oh, the other thing we started offering, which I think was really huge was coaching. So not leadership coaching, but coaching. So there's this really great company called Inward. They're out in Canada, phenomenal people. The woman who started it was very much about making coaching accessible. So it's just like a flat monthly rate for a certain amount of hours that you fill. And uh, it's just however you rotate employees in. Um, you know, employees will start weekly and then they'll go bi-weekly and then they'll go monthly. And so hours free up for the next batch, the next round of people to go in. So it's really awesome. And I've heard amazing things from my team of how incredibly helpful that's been to just have somebody to talk to. So mm. I think there's definitely things we can do from a company standpoint, but it does need to come from the individual. And they also need to recognize that there's things that they probably need to do as well. Um, from a mental health standpoint, it's the same as going to your normal doctor every year to check in and make sure things are working. Right. Right. Like what about like in terms of daily routines, because I think this is something that remote workers really struggle with, especially those who are new to it is that all of a sudden they think that they don't have any sort of schedule right? And they're like, oh, I can like work whenever I want to. And it's always going to be different, all this kind of stuff. But like, what are some of those, I guess I would say, like, I kind of call it like the, the, you know, like the, the toothbrush, right? Like brushing your teeth. Like what are those sort of like healthy routines to, to keep up with if you're working remotely? Set your hours. Doesn't matter what they are, but they need to be consistent every day. So mm. my hours are generally I know I broke them the last few days, but generally my hours are noon to five and then eight to 10 and my mm. schedule, my calendar blocks everything else off. So people can't book me when I'm not working. So having clear out consistent, don't change it every day. Whatever your hours are going to be, if you're a night owl and you want to work at night, great. Set your schedule to be that. If you're uh, like, I have somebody in the Pacific Northwest who starts at 1230 my time, which is like 430 his time. He's just an early bird. He's like ready to go. Mm -hmm. So he set his calendar to be from 430 to 130. So I think 
it's really, or 12, it's eight hours, 1230. So I think it's really whatever you want your hours to be, but set them, be clear and be transparent about it. First and foremost, set your hours and then, and I'm really bad at this. So I'm giving advice knowing that I'm still not very good at it is you got to turn off. So when you're not on, leave your phone somewhere that's not near you, uh, you know, make your watch not connected to your phone, whatever you got to do um, to really be disconnected, I think is really helpful. On the flip side, I think it really depends on what kind of life you're living. So like, because I have kids, sometimes I have to run down and see if they're okay. And if I know that I don't have meetings, if I know I don't have meetings then I'm like, cool, I have my watch. If anybody needs me, then they'll ping me. And so that gives me a little bit of that flexibility and freedom, but within the hours I set. So mm. I think it's just really, you know, and then coming up with routines around that. So having your coffee, getting some work done, taking a lunch every day at the same time, these things should happen to help you at the end of the day, the goal, right? The goal of a set schedule, like brushing your teeth is what's that period of unwinding? What's that period of my day is over. I get to put my computer away. I get to have a life. I get to go to sleep and get normal sleeping hours. You know, that's really what the goal is in the day. And so finding that schedule that works for you, I think is the crux of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, a lot of people who start working remotely and like become digital nomads are like, no, like I don't want to schedule anymore. Like I've been like held down by the schedule for so long and no longer I'm going to be free as a bird and work whenever I want to and do whatever I want to. But uh, like you get the most freedom, in my opinion, when you have a schedule as like, like you said, it just you can be whatever you want it to be. Like one of the things I'm experimenting with at the moment is I'm calling the three, three, three schedule. So I do eight to 11 and then, you know, that's three hours of work. Then I take a three hour break where I try to go and do something like, you know, cause I find myself after a few hours of work, I kind of get like really low and I kind of want to like go outside and do something. So I go out there, I do something, I have a lunch and I come back and I do another three hours of work and I'm done by five anyways. And if you can't get your shit done in six hours and you're doing something wrong, right? Like if you can't have a productive mm -hmm. six hour day, then you're doing something wrong. So yeah. And I think just experimenting is fun. Like, you know, see you like what works with you, try yeah. different things and then, um, you know, go with what works best. Uh, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I really, uh, enjoyed getting to kind of hear how things run with you, how you guys built the company. Let people know if anybody is listening and is like, listen, I love this company. I want to work for MKG. Where can they find you guys? Uh, are you looking for work right now? What sort of people are you looking for? And on the flip side, if somebody's listening is like, I need a, a marketing company. They sound awesome. Where can they find out more about you guys? Yeah. So our website's mkgmarketinginc.com. Um, we're in the middle of an overhaul. So, uh, if you get there and you're like, that's not exactly what she said, that's because it's coming and it's going to be glorious. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. It's my favorite spot to be, to meet people. Please feel free to connect with me. I'd love just to connect with people. I have a podcast. If you're a marketer in tech 
and you want to be a guest, let me know. I just think it's great to connect with other people that way. And if you're looking for a job, we are currently hiring an account director. Um, so feel free to head to the website and under jobs, check out the account director position. We're always looking for people, um, even if we're not currently hiring. So if there's other jobs there that look interesting to you, please, please sign up and uh, I'll get back to you and let you know when we have a position available. So yeah, mkgmarketinginc.com or find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, we're going to have links to all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening, don't feel like you have to remember all that. Just head to the show notes and uh, they'll be there. Carrie, thank you so much for being on. This has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Miko. So good to meet you. 